Right, Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through to the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all on those days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native-born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of this his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. 
Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Well, enough of that. Let's uh, look at Exodus. Uh, you know, I like to talk, ask questions a bit, so I, I just thought this morning, does anyone want to sort of make a comment with uh, how they're finding Exodus or what they've observed this week or a question that you might have? Uh, we don't normally do this, so don't worry about being awkward and there's, uh, what are they called, tumbleweeds rolling down or total silence. That's okay. I just give, there's an opportunity for those who are a bit brave and might like to share or ask a question, uh, as is my pattern. I'll do that through the sermon as well. Okay. Uh, so, well, this morning we do continue this uh, wonderful, wonderful journey through Exodus, uh, travelling beside Moses. And I think as we travel beside Moses, we're seeing how, we're being reminded how awesome Yahweh is. And of course, by extension for us as Christians, how astounding our Lord Jesus Christ is. Uh, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we covered chapters 7 to 11 from Exodus. Uh, major, five chapters, ten plagues. Uh, it was quite, quite a big um, mouthful, big meal for us, I think, in many ways. Uh, we had those plagues of blood and frogs and gnats, flies, the plagues on the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and it all came together with that uh, final uh, plague, the one on the death of the firstborn sons. What was the purpose? What was the purpose of what Yahweh was doing? Well, it was so that Pharaoh, Egypt, Israel, together with the whole world, might know Yahweh. They might know him personally, might know what he's capable of, might know his judgment, might know his mercy. Essentially, as we know, the story of the scriptures starting back in Genesis, uh, God's plans to bless the world are being extended through Abraham and his descendants. But Pharaoh had the arrogance to say, uh -uh, these people are my people. I'm not letting them go. In fact, I don't even know who you are, Yahweh. Who are you? I don't know who you are and I'm not going to obey you. Well, that didn't take long for Pharaoh to come to understand, to know personally who this Yahweh is. Uh, now, there are a few significant points we've noticed noted uh, on the way through last week. There was the scope of knowing Yahweh and the whole purpose that Yahweh be known to the ends of the earth. And we saw that in Jesus as well. Uh, to know that Yahweh rescues that blessing might overcome chaos. Those plagues showed if Pharaoh wants to reject God, well, there's a life without God. 
But Yahweh, in his mercy, continues to bring blessing, as does Jesus. And finally, while Yahweh's rescue is about freedom, it's far more than just freedom, wasn't it? Yahweh rescues Israel that they might worship, that they might know the living God, that they might live for him, that they might love him, that they might enjoy all that it is to be in relationship to him. Funny enough, Jesus does the same for us, doesn't he? So this week, we're up to chapter 12. And we're going to look at chapter 12 and a little bit into chapter 13 as well. If you've got bulletins, uh, just like last week, there's a little outline there. I framed my outline again uh, along the lines of five questions. Uh, I hope they'll be helpful as we work our way through uh, this uh, amazing passage this morning. Okay, well, primarily, chapter 12 is all about these introductions for introducing or beginning this uh, Passover, this festival that Yahweh is laying down for the uh, Israelites. Interestingly, it's a festival that's still carried out today. Jews today still celebrate a Passover annually, uh, not quite in the same way as it's expressed here, uh, as you'll soon see with all the blood and gore of this uh, celebration, but they do still celebrate around Easter time each year. Now, I reckon if, if we just take a moment and put our selves into the shoes or perhaps sandals of the uh, Israelites, imagine what it's been like. There's been these nine plagues. You, you live in Goshen, uh, perhaps during the day you've still been going off, uh, doing your slave work, build, making those bricks, collecting the straw, doing all that work. But as you've gone through Egypt, you are sensing the changes that have been happening. There's been these massive plagues, there's massive destruction. Uh, Egypt is coming under repeated attack. Now, you keep going home to Goshen, to your family, uh, and the world doesn't seem to have changed much. But you can hear things, you can see things. And I reckon, I reckon we might just be starting to wonder, what's this final plague going to be like? Are we, as God's people, still going to be protected from that? What is going to happen here? Uh, I mean, who are we as a people group to be spared? Who are we to be protected when such incredible damage has been done to Egypt, to the nation around us? Are we worthy of such protection? And I mean, so far we've been pretty worried about Pharaoh and uh, the, the, the oppression that he has brought my goodness, maybe we're worried about the wrong person. Maybe it's Yahweh we should be a bit more worried about. I mean, he seems to be exerting a lot more power. There's that background. Is that making sense with where we're, we're up as we start with chapter 12? I, I, clearly it's not in the scriptures, but I, I just think, I wonder, I put myself in the, the picture of uh, the Israelites and start to think, what, what are they thinking in the midst of all that's happening? Well, if you haven't already, grab your Bibles uh, and let's flick over to Exodus chapter 12, uh, verse 1, right at the beginning. Now, uh, I, I was pretty pleased this week. Um, last week, five chapters, ten plagues, there was a, a fair bit to look at. Uh, and I think it was a bit of a solid meal for us last week. Uh, but I've got to say, one chapter, man, there is plenty in here again. I mean, it is about the Passover. It is a significant passage, isn't it? It's, it's one of the major Old Testament passages. 
Um, like Michelle was saying, it, it is a marvellous one to have listened to read as well. Uh, again, I, I'm not going to be able to touch on a lot of the detail. It's massive. I'd encourage you, keep reading. Read through, note things that you can see. Um, but we'll, we'll look at a few things. We'll look at some of the significant details as we go through this morning. So let's roll up our sleeves and get, get into it. Well, verse 1. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Straight away, we see that something new is happening here. There is something being started, established. Uh, it's to be called the Passover for Yahweh. And it's to set the agenda for the Israelite year ahead. In fact, this Jewish calendar is to be completely reorganised so that this event starts it all off, kicks the thing off. Uh, you know, when we celebrate New Year's Eve here in Australia, we've got parties and uh, fireworks and perhaps New Year's resolutions. Um, but here for the Israelites, their New Year is to start with blood as they look back to Yahweh's great rescue and look forward to a, a new year grounded in their identity of being a people who've been rescued out of slavery, rescued for worship with their God. Well, next we read about a lamb, a lamb that each household is commanded to put aside until the Passover night when it will be slaughtered, it will be killed. Have a look at verse 6 and 7 of chapter 12. Take care of the lambs until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now, on the original Passover, the first one when uh, they're in Egypt, the Israelites are commanded to take bunches of this local herb, this hyssop, uh, when they kill their lamb, they're to, to bleed it into a bowl or something like this. You can see it, it, straight away we're getting a picture of the gruesome nature of what's happening. Uh, they're to take their bunches of this herb and dip it into the blood and splash it on the top of their doorposts and down the sides and on the frame there. Uh, it, it's, we're not talking sort of little dots or dabs, we're talking about splashing it out. It, it's, it's a clear and obvious sign. It, uh, it, it's... I don't know, it's a disgusting kind of... I mean, imagine the smell, imagine the sights. Uh, there's, there's lambs being killed, there's blood going around. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Um, but what's the point of the blood? Well, have a look at verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I, Yahweh, see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive pl uh, plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So, interestingly, we might think, okay, well, that's fine. When they're in Egypt the first time, they do this. But, in fact, the festival establishes this to be done annually. Each year, they are to set aside lambs. They're to, to take them, slaughter them, collect the blood, splash it on their doorposts. Each year, a public uh, and um, amazing sign to everyone around them of what they're doing, that they are declaring themselves under the protection of Yahweh. Well, at verse 8, we move on to look at something, what this feast is about. Uh, it's roast meat, and maybe we're thinking Sunday roast, that sounds pretty good. Um, but it's not really an enjoyable family roast, 
that they're getting together to have. Uh, this meal is a, is a meal of urgency. There's a hurried preparation. There's uh, uh, eating quickly, like they've got to go at any moment. So you can imagine saying to your kids, you know, we're running late. Eat, 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 eat. We've got to go. Um, and I think in the midst of this, there's this trembling anticipation. This is the night. Yahweh is coming to Egypt. He's going to pass through Egypt. Judgment comes with him. Is that blood on the door really enough for us? Is it going to do the job? So you can imagine there's this anxiety as they eat and get ready for the night. Listen to some of the requirements. The, the meat is to be roasted, uh, not boiled, there's not to be taking a long time with it. It's to be quickly cooked, roasted, but cooked through. Uh, leftovers are to be burnt up, not left behind. Uh, bread is to be baked, not left you know, for a day with yeast to rise and all that sort of stuff. It's got to be cooked quickly. Um, and then they've got to be dressed. They've got to have their cloak on, tucked in, ready to walk out the door, shoes on, staff in hand. For my family, it would be like we've got to have our backpacks on and water bottles and hats on and, you know, you've got your hanky, all that sort of stuff. You've got to be ready to go. There's no fiddling around afterwards. They're ready to run. Amazing. And then, of course, it happens. Exactly as Yahweh says, exactly as Moses, as, as Moses passes on the message from Yahweh. Have a look at verse 29. At midnight, Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And so, at long last, Pharaoh just says, Get out. Get up. Get out of my land. I don't want you here. Take all your animals. Take all your kids. Take everyone. Just go. And of course the Egyptians are going, yes, Pharaoh, you've finally come around. Yes, get out. In fact, they're so keen to go, they give them all their jewellery, their gold, their silver clothes. Um, it's incredible. Uh, this, this was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 15, that this would happen in the future. And there it is. The, the Egyptian people are so keen to get this people group out, to get Yahweh off their back, that they will pay them to get them out. And of course, we read of the plundering of Egypt in that way. Uh, what's, what's amazing, verse 38, it's not just the Israelites who go. I guess uh, as, as these plagues have happened, and uh, remember Moses during particularly the plague of hail, he gave them an opportunity, he said uh, to the Egyptians, this hail is coming, you take the chance, put your animals under shelter, you'll be safe. Some Egyptians did, many didn't. But here we read there are others going with them, probably Egyptians, I guess, who are saying, well, we, we've seen the outcome of this battle. It's Pharaoh, we're not putting our money with Pharaoh. We're going with Moses. He's heading out to the, wherever he's going, but we're going with him. Because we love this, uh, this God that looks after his people. Now, it's kind of interesting at this point because we, we go, okay, being an Israelite is probably not all that scary. It's actually pretty good. Um, 
God looks after his people. He promises Abraham and we see it coming through. Yes, there's been a long period of oppression and slavery, but here at last, God is carrying through. Uh, But if we have a look over at chapter 13, we read, well, it's not without cost for Israel. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Yahweh said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. At this point, there's a symbolic cost for the Israelites. The firstborn, whether man or or, um, animal, firstborn belongs to Yahweh. And they are to redeem their people back. They are to buy back. Okay, Yahweh's not interested in child sacrifice. He's looking for children firstborn to be bought back. Depending on the animal, they might be sacrificed. So while Egypt's firstborn have paid the ultimate price, Israel's firstborn are protected by the blood of lambs. And here we see that Yahweh also claims his people as his own, having bought them with the blood of the lamb. Is this making sense? It's a really interesting, this whole idea of purchase with the blood of the lamb. Uh, The lamb is a significant part of this celebration. Yeah? See, I'll just give you a chance. You might like to catch your breath. You might like to ask a question. It's all good. You know, last week, a number of people have said, oh, I was going to ask a question, but I didn't. That's okay. I don't mind. Okay. Uh, what does this ceremony mean to you? Well, uh, there's, there's a lot more of the detail um, that we're not going to look at this morning. Uh, but we need to, as we keep moving along, I really want to sort of draw back again and look at the big picture, look at some themes of what is happening through Exodus 12 and 13. Uh, for Jewish people today, as they celebrate the Passover, there's this um, key moment in the dinner where they get the youngest child to stand up and the youngest child has to ask this major question of what does this ceremony mean it's a way for the jewish people to to sort of talk about all the symbolism everything that is happening and it comes right back here from the beginning here in exodus uh, chapter 12 again have a look at verse 26 and when your children ask you what does this ceremony mean to you then tell them it's the passover sacrifice to yahweh who passed over the houses of the israelites in egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians and the people bowed down and worshipped. So this celebration is all about the birth of a new nation, a nation that is federated and free as they leave Egypt and it's a pivotal moment for them. And so there's a few things worth noting. What does this ceremony mean? Firstly, I I don't know if you've taken time to read uh, chapter 12 and into 13, um, as I read it this week, I, I was kind of struck by it. It's a, it's a bit weird. Did any of you notice that? Uh, as I read it, it kind of jumps around a bit. We've got these moments where we're talking about some future annual festival and what needs to be done each year. But then we've got moments when we're back in Egypt with Moses and, and they're setting up the first Passover. And there's no clear shift between it about five or six times it shifts backwards and forwards and you've got to catch your breath as, as you sort of go oh hang on we're, oh, we're back to the festival oh now we're back with Egypt 
And it's all entwined together. So what's happening with that? Uh, I, I think the issue here is that this festival that's being established is to remind the Israelites so much of what is happening that Moses has written this in such a way that they're caught up with what was happening and what is to happen with the festival. And so they don't know, are they, are they there? Are they in the future? Is, is, is this about what they're supposed to do? Is this about what happened? It brings them together so much that they are caught up with the event as it happened back then. Uh, they're intimately connected with what has happened back then. This, this story is their story, even thousands of years later. This, this, um, this rescue is their rescue. This God is their God. It's their story. Now, as we keep thinking about some of the ideas, in another sense, there's this um, sacrifice of the lamb. Okay? It's an important thing that's happening here. Uh, the blood and all that sort of stuff. It's gruesome, but it's important. And I think the lamb represents an act of atonement, of um, perhaps even substitutionary atonement. Big religious words, I suppose. Substitutionary, substitute, replacing another. Atonement is one I sort of always fall back to what I was taught in Sunday school. Atonement is spelt at one. So atonement is the making of one. It's the bringing together, the reunification. So here in this festival, we're seeing substitutionary atonement. Um, this lamb, the sacrifice of the lamb, is the substitute for Israel so that they can be rescued and brought back, united with God and taken out. Does that make sense? Kind of? That's helpful. I mean, I can, I can spend a bit more time. I, there's a few people... Yeah, is kind of, yeah making sense? It's, it's a very important point, so I don't want to move on without um, grabbing hold of it. Yes, Roy. Yes. Exactly. So, um, I guess for the recording, I'll, I'll repeat the, uh, the question a bit there. So, uh, the idea of blood uh, being pay, paying the price for life and being required for um, yeah, new life. Is, it, is that in a nutshell? Yes. So, for the firstborn to be saved, there had to be a death of an animal. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Uh, I, I think uh, we've got to remember where we're at. So we're in Exodus and those themes, they come to fulfilment in Leviticus, the whole sacrificial system. Um, the idea of the scapegoat, um, that's the replacement, the sin offering. We don't see those uh, themes of sin offering developing. I think they're here in very small sense, but they're obviously developing. That's where we're going. So... Um, for the Old Testament, Leviticus is where that really explodes on the screen for us. Is that helpful? Thank you. Uh, okay, so okay, in verse 11, uh, we read about this festival is to be remembered as Yahweh's Passover. Uh, literally, it actually reads as a Passover victim for Yahweh. 
And this is starting to pick up, I think, a little bit on what Roy's asking about. The key thing is, is not the Passover and the, the passing over, even though that's where the name comes from. The key thing is the victim, which in our case here is the lamb. In verse 12, we read that Yahweh brings judgment down on the gods of Egypt as he affirms his identity as Yahweh, an identity, of course, that Pharaoh is now very much aware of. In verse 13, we read that it's the blood of the lamb that provides substitution. The lamb dies so that the Israelite firstborn don't have to die. And again, that's a little bit in what Roy was leading to with his question. Uh, The lamb is a substitute for the firstborn within each house that is painted with that blood. Okay, so it's it's an important uh, substitutionary atonement that is happening with the lamb. And finally, we've got the act of consecration of Israel's firstborn sons in chapter 13 as an act of redemption. Uh, Redemption's a simple word, again, that means buying back. It's a slave word. It's a buying back of someone who's in slavery, paying off a debt so that a slave might go free. So in chapter 13, we're told that Yahweh has delivered or redeemed Israel from out of Egypt at what cost? Well, we might think the cost of that lamb or all the lambs, but no, here he actually says at the cost of Egypt's firstborn sons. They were killed so Israel could go free. Have a look at uh, verse 14 of chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 14. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Yahweh killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to Yahweh, the first male offspring of every womb, and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that Yahweh brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. See, in a sense here, the Israelites were given all the firstborn of Egypt. They were the price that was paid for their freedom. And because they were given that, they owe that price to Yahweh. They owe that price in their own firstborn. And Israel are to buy back their firstborn. God's not into child sacrifices. So there's a system in place. Yahweh, uh, the Israelites can buy back their firstborn from Yahweh through another sacrifice, another lamb. So we can see this pattern of lambs being sacrificed, replaced, the cost of protecting Israel and the cost of purchasing Israel's rescue. With me? Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? So we've got a whole lot happening here in this passage all about sacrifice of lambs. Okay. I don't want to spend any more time on that. That's pretty important. I also want to move to the New Testament. We're Christians. So what's this mean for us? I don't think it'll take much for us to work out where we're going. Lamb? Jesus. <laughs> the Lamb of God. I mean, let's, let's actually start at the beginning with Jesus. Let's move to John. What does John say of Jesus? Have a look at John chapter 1, verse 29. We've got about um, three passages to have a look at. So you can leave Exodus, move over to John, and then we'll go to two other passages. 
So John 1, verse 29. So there's John by the river. He's baptising people. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know that. In some ways, there's no surprises. But imagine you're a Jew sitting there. You celebrate the Passover every year. You splash the blood around and you know that the Passover is about the Lord's victim, the lamb. What's going on? What? The lamb of God? No, no, the lamb of God is that lamb that we sacrifice. What are you talking about, the lamb of God? Jesus is the lamb of God? Mixed emotions. What's going to be happening? People are going to be getting angry. People are going to be confused. But there's John starting it off for us. There's the first connection. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Super important background. Where are we going to go to next? Passover. Jesus celebrates the Passover, doesn't he? Let's jump over to Luke 22. Let's have a look at what Jesus does with the very, this very same Passover that's being talked about back in Exodus. So Luke 22. Uh, Luke 22, let's, uh, verse 13, let's have a look from there. They left and found things, this is the um, disciples, the friends of Jesus, they left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The death of Jesus is looming. Jesus is speaking very pointedly. He's making the most of every opportunity now on the night before his death. The breaking of bread is being clearly linked to the sacrifice he's about to make. But the important thing, did you catch the big change with where we've gone from with this Passover festival to what, how Jesus has reinterpreted this ancient festival? Did you catch it? It was to do with the bread. The Passover victim for Yahweh is no longer to be the lamb. Now the meal is to be in remembrance of Jesus' body broken. Jesus has become the lamb. This is incredibly crucial in the celebration of this Passover. And it's now bigger, bigger than Israel. Matthew tells us that the blood of this lamb, not just for Israel, the blood of this lamb is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is exciting stuff. 
Now, I hope this is okay. I'll, I just want to, there's one more passage I want to jump to. Uh, I think you'll get goosebumps this time as you read this next passage. It is just incredible to see this theme of lamb, this sacrificial lamb for the Passover being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Where are we going to go to? Revelation chapter 5. This is the last passage we're going to flip to. Easier to find, last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 5. So I want to start at verse 1. Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw, this is John writing, he's been revealed a vision of um, heaven. This is John. So then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are of the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They're holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain. With your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Just jump to verse 12. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Who's worthy to open the scroll of all of God's future plans for what's about to happen? The great Lion of Judah. And when John goes to look at him, it's a lamb standing with a death blow on it looking like it's just been slaughtered this is the picture of heaven this is the picture of our lord and savior this is the picture of jesus recognized for all eternity as the slain lamb that now stands how incredible is this image the one who was slaughtered but lives the one who died but was raised the one who gave all that we might be rescued and redeemed and reminded that all power all honor all glory belongs to that one the slain lamb the story that began right back in exodus with that with that rescue that mighty rescue brought out of egypt and there to be remembered by the power of god to be remembered with the sacrifice of a little lamb and at the end of time there's that lamb 
the lion of Judah, the lamb that stands. Wow. I feel like saying, you know, it comments, but it sort of destroys the moment, doesn't it? We're just there. Well, what about some implications for us? We could almost finish there, I guess. But let's, uh, let's just finish up. As Yahweh passed through Egypt in judgment on that first fateful night, came to a house with blood splattered on the doorway, I can imagine that Yahweh would have said to himself of that house, this is not in scriptures, I'm imagining, I've given my firstborn son so that I will pass over this house. Of that house... My son will be crucified. His blood will be shed for that house. And because of that blood on the door, I will spare those people. They will go free. Jesus, of course, comes to be that Passover lamb. The fulfilment of this great event. Israel couldn't be saved without Jesus. Uh, In itself, there's no power in the blood of lambs. It's not like there's anything um, uh, magical in the way it was done or with the lamb itself. The power comes from the blood of the Son of God, the blood of Jesus. Now, last week, you might remember, we worked out uh, that Israel was not rescued just to go free. They were rescued for worship. They were rescued for this intimacy with Yahweh. They were rescued for life to serve, to love, to live, to enjoy all that it meant to be in relationship with their God. As I finish, I just want to ask you a question this week. What do you think Israel is being rescued from? Probably, we say, well, pretty simple. Pharaoh, Egypt is pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, But it's not just from Egypt. Yes, it is. They, They are being rescued from Egypt. But in Yahweh's passing over... Israel is being rescued from God himself, from the wrath, from the judgment, from the just judgment of God. They're being rescued from the wrath that is being poured out on Egypt, that in living there they are caught up with. And in Jesus Christ, we too are rescued and delivered from the wrath of God to become forgiven followers of God, to become forgiven worshippers of God. Who are we saved from? We could say sin, we could say Satan, but ultimately we are saved from the just judgment we deserve for our own sin, for the way we used to live, for the rejection of God we used to have. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the blood of God's Son, the Passover is bloody, it's messy, it's ugly. So too is the cross, exactly the same. You want to see a bit of a sense of that? Watch um, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. He, He gets that detail right. It is bloody and messy, but it's the only way forward for life with God. You can't rescue yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't be nice enough. Going to church won't help you. There is no relationship with God, no worship of God, no eternal life without the shedding of blood, which, of course, is exactly what Roy was saying. 
It's exactly where that theme continues to be developed through the Old Testament and through Leviticus, the sacrifice. And of course it's fulfilled in Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. Today we can have confidence because we are forgiven because God did it himself in his son. He did it in a real transaction of blood on the cross. Where does that leave us? It leaves us in all sorts of places for each of us. For me, I'm thinking what I'm going to do later today is when we're having lunch, we're going to celebrate the Last Supper. We're going to just pick up some bread, pick up some grape juice, eat it together as a family, read Luke 22 and share around our meal how thankful we are for Jesus. There's a whole range of things. I'm sure there's all sorts of things floating around in your head. I pray we'll keep talking, keep exploring, keep thinking about the significance. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are God when we are not. It's just amazing to read these developing themes in the scriptures that just go way and beyond anything a human being could come up with. Thank you for those lambs that were sacrificed so that the Israelites could go free. But more than that, thank you for the lamb that was sacrificed so that we could go free. Thank you for inviting us to share in the life that comes from knowing you, from living with you, from enjoying you. And thank you for the cost it was for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus didn't stay dead but is alive, that lamb that was slain but now stands. May we continue to recognise how much you've gone through for us, the love that just abounds. In Jesus' name, amen.